2: a goal
0: who got the assist who got the
2: assist smile smiles for the camera <laughs> please yeah you know,
0: smile you're on radio <laughs> i feel like my
2: entire week has been you know the steve corral from american office all i can do is put on try to put on a brave face <laughs> one of those has not it really all Right, right anyway, let's go Hello, so the longest double game week in history has finally concluded when we're back to podcast trailing in its wake. Imagine, the last time we did this, we'd not heard of Sea Shanty TikTok, lads. Amazing, really. Anyway, um, I'm not sure we've ever seen a week with such contrasting fortunes, and while many bask in the glory of John Stone's brace, others slunk off in a sulk at John Stone's no-show as the harsh binaries bit. To talk about it, the band is back together, having just about survived it all. But Nick, you are right i'm all right thank you yeah i think this game week certainly
3: was a lot of prolonged pain for us um i kind of missed the days as you said of just getting it all over and done with between the hours of three and four thirty on a saturday but uh yeah we'll get on to that in a little bit uh, just to remind listeners who we are we are of course who got the assist uh make sure to join our mini league uh, the code is cpsulf we're joined of course by anthony fpl stag
0: how are you well, thanks. Yeah, definitely one of those game weeks for all of us where, you know, at least we have a global pandemic to put things into perspective so <laughs> we can move on from it at least. But anyway, look, this part of the agenda, <laughs> we've had multiple mini pods with very short turnarounds. So we finally got a proper pod back um, with all the accompanying sections to boot, including correspondence so it's back with a bang as well with our first audio submission with a great poem coming from an Irishman, but who's not living in ireland right now um for this week's main discussion we're going to be looking at effective ownership and how much we should be paying attention to both effective ownership itself and its effects which of course are not the same thing there will of course be listeners questions and plans for next game week at the tail end of the pod but before that we have the gamer reviews and market forces
2: lads it's a bit of an interesting game review this week i'm well aware And congratulations, at the risk of sounding like the income diamond Me" meme. Well done if you did very, very well and got a triple figure score. As you may have guessed, none of us did. (laughs) And we're fine. We're fine. We really are fine. The finest person on the pod is is Nick. How did your week go? Oh, dear. Yeah. So I think I scored 81
3: points in the end, but I also took a minus eight. So 73 nets in total. My rank is... um, Falling pretty heavily. I was about 48k, I think, before this game week, and now I'm at 120k, so more than doubled. Not great at all. Had lots of problems with my team. Only one player scored a goal this week for me, which was Harry Kane, a single game weaker. Uh, Ruben Diaz did all right in the defence. Picked up 18 points, a couple of clean sheets and an assist. But apart from that, really not a lot to shout about. Picked up a nice Martinez clean sheet, at least tonight. But damage was already done. And Robo got on a, um, a clean sheet as well. But yeah, the midfield, dreadful. Suchek blanking, Fernandez blanking, Salah blanking. Um, Adams in forward line blanking and also I brought in De Bruyne on the hits. obviously he didn't play well he did play in the second game it came off into 58th minutes so one point in that game and also had Kurt Zuma who did a complete no show as well which means I get Basuma off the bench for one point lucky me so uh, yeah but you don't
0: get a big up point with Basuma
3: I know I know I know exactly uh, but we'll, we'll move on swiftly to, to Tom I think you're up next I don't think you did much
2: better no you only got two more points than you as the procession of misery continues uh, 85 minus 8 of 77. I got no goals throughout this double game week. Zero zilch. I also had no city defenders and I also had no Antonio. I also used my triple captain on Kevin De Bruyne who got an assist in the first game as well as missing out on quite a few. And in the second game, he did his ankle uh, in 57th minute, which was just fantastic. I, know I, I got my COVID vaccination that day. You know, Donald Trump, it was his last day in office and I thought good things come in threes. Well, I guess I got three points from him because I had him triple caps on him, but it didn't quite work out. And what was really galling? Okay, it's one of those things where you're kind of like, uh, because I had so much time to tinker for the double game week. I kind of got trapped into, I could have had it, itis, basically, because I had two choices. Um, I removed Son, Rafinha and Alioski, and I had two possible permutations. One was one I went with, which was KDB, Dawson and Suchek, because I was just, oh, you know, I need to get West Ham in. The other iteration was KDB Stones and uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, which I'd been able to do perfectly. And uh, I kind of went for the first one and I think I dipped myself out of about 25 points just through that brutal binary there of just going for option A over option B. It's just one of those things really, but yeah, really annoying. I can't remember a double game week where I've had no goals. The likes of Vardy not doing anything, uh, Suchek deciding to actually be a defensive midfielder for once. Fernandez, Salah all these players just blanking it was a yeah it was quite a difficult week as well because it was so long like waiting for the red arrow just to kind of be locked in but there we go as Nick said we move which I think is just one of those horrible phrases people say when they're a little bit upset and want to pretend they're fine Anthony and yeah some people say sat off as well (laughs) cut that out
0: Um, no, moving on to me, I guess, a ray of sunshine here with uh, 98 points minus four. So 94 in total. Uh, that's actually enough for the smallest of small green arrows. That's the second week in a row that I've gone up about 10K, so 277K to 269K. Um, Effectively, I think most of my team performed as I would have hoped, only that I had Cancelo, not Stones, and I had Watkins, not Antonio. So there's the guts of a 30 point swing there between those two choices, which, of course, look, you you make these choices. Cancelo was something that I was someone who I've had on my side for a while. The side grade was never on. And I knew that there was a day that Cancelo would get benched. Unfortunately, it came in the double game week. Uh, Watkins, on the other hand, that was a decision I made just before this game week, um, trying to figure out who to bring in for DCL. I didn't trust Antonio to play both games as he did. Simple as. So I brought in Watkins with slightly better fixtures going forward and looks like he'll have double game weeks uh, kind of coming down the line. Didn't quite work out as well this double game week, but I'm still quite happy with him for the longer run, so it's okay. Martinez clean sheet, Cancelo one clean sheet, Diaz obviously with a pretty decent haul. Dallas I put into my team instead of Saka. There was a few points lost there along the way, but whatever that was, you know the decision I made, and I'm happy with it uh, overall. By the fact it didn't work. Sufal twelve. I had to point a captain, didn't triple captain. I didn't uh, change my mind from the last pod, so that was fine. Sixteen points there. Salah, Fernandez, check Watkins with only one goal, um, Kane with only one goal as well. So look it's it was a fine week it could have been a very bad week as uh, my co-host can attest to it could have been a fantastic week and like you know you could have had 40 50 60 points more than this but overall i think i'm quite happy to have escaped this whole entire you know double blank game week double game week zone without having used any hits and only taken green arrows from it uh in spite of the fact that they were tiny ones so i, I think i can be pretty happy with that overall and well set for the the rest of the second half of the season
2: Hashtag points that's what i've got to say to that Right, I didn't say my rank, by the way, and that's because I haven't looked, and I won't be looking <laughs> next week. <laughs> right, right, I can't,
0: I can't read seven
2: figures. I'm sure. I think, I think it is still six. <laughs> I'm joking. I, I, I haven't checked. I, I, I do not want to look. <laughs> right, let's move on swiftly uh, to the market forces. Uh, with Kevin De Bruyne Jamie Vardy both notably um, injured since the midweek action, uh, what's been going on, Nick?
3: yeah it's, it's been pretty busy actually in the market um, in the wake of the double game week and I think many managers are, are not really waiting around they're just cracking on with their moves and obviously there's been a few injuries as well which has spurred the market on I guess starting with um, who's been sold it's obviously De Bruyne and, and Vardy both being sold heavily because of injuries so 550,000 transfers out for De Bruyne and 350,000 transfers out for Vardy um, also the likes of Calvert-Lewin being quite heavily sold with 320,000 transfers out I believe he might be coming back in to fitness now Um, and Zuma didn't play of course so he's been heavily sold 220,000 transfers out and Salo as well being quite heavily sold 160,000 transfers out for him um, having blanked now in five games in a row last scoring in that game week I didn't own him where he got 16 points in 33 minutes um but i'm not bitter about that at all uh the players being brought in of course it's john stones uh, that 27 points ridiculous um, return for the double game weaker i think he was going to be heavily bought in anyway this week just because of city's fixtures but four hundred thousand 000 transfers in for him now at the time of recording which is um pretty ridiculous Um uh, like Madison, actually is quite interesting one. He's the second most transferred in player right now with 295,000 transfers in, three um, goals in three games for him. Um, Antonio, another double game week hero there. He's got, uh, obviously scored two goals. He's third on the list and, and it's, uh, it's Kane and also Dunderhan. um The cut price KDB replacement who's 6.4 million cheaper um, and scored 41 goals in the last four game weeks um, has had 200,000 new transfers in for him as well.
0: Yeah, to be honest, I think what you're seeing is just an awful lot of people reacting to the double game week and reacting to injuries. It was, um, they're, they're fairly sensical transfers, I guess, from that perspective. I think the increased activity, like these numbers of transfers in and transfers out are much higher than we'd usually see when we're doing market forces. But I think that just kind of tells you how long the game week has been. And a lot of people would have made their transfers as they usually do habitually on a Thursday or Friday. And we've just kind of seen those already wash through a little earlier than we usually would ahead of a game
2: week. Yeah, I was surprised to see the rises and falls already happening with FA Cup action to come. But I mean, as you said, it's habitual isn't it and people are managers are creatures of habit Right. right let's move on um, and move on to the main topic this week which is about effective ownership um so as i mentioned earlier things went from excitement to bore off from us and a lot of that was rooted in effective ownership which wouldn't take advantage of having times to do a proper pods to chat about today and answer you know what do we think of effective ownership in fpl this game week was a really kind of harsh binary wasn't it for us i didn't, we didn't have stones that's for sure Maybe I didn't have any City defence myself. I know you had Diaz and Nick did, you had some coverage there. Didn't have Antonio. And it kind of reminded me as well of the Project Restart as well. And there are a few game weeks where if you didn't have Antonio, you didn't have Sterling. Well, you didn't get Green Arrow. You, you were absolutely screwed. So what is effective ownership? Uh, one of those things that you do here kind of floating around. I'll do my best to define it here. Hopefully I can kind of make it um, as simple as possible. Uh, but effective ownership are points you gain or lose against the average. This can be versus the overall game as an average in your kind of local rank area as being a defined sample uh, or another defined sample. For example, the top 10K. This can also be over 100%. So effective ownership can be over 100%. Factoring in captains and triple captains, which of course doubles or triples um, the amount of people who effectively own a player and um, this becomes live during a game week it's not live it's only projected pre-game week so you get the base ownership stats uh, then that kind of, kind of kicks in once the deadline goes you find mistakes from things like live rank and will fix simply put it shows which players and teams will make the most impact towards you getting green arrow if you own them and conversely of course which are more likely to lead to a red arrow if you don't own them they do something how this works out is pretty simple. So here's a good works example. Stones, um, my bet noir this week, is owned by 14% of people overall. But Stones this week, just gone in the double game, it was owned by 23.84% of people active in my rank tier. So that becomes kind of our sample. He scored 27 points, which is 6.4 points against me. Why is that 6.4? Well, if literally everyone around me had Stones at my rank and I didn't, i.e. 100% effective ownership against me, I'd be 27 points down, To everyone around me. But as it was, he was owned by 23.84% and 100% of FPL Twitter, of course. That works out at 27 times 0.384 equals 6.4 points. Okay, so that's kind of how my rank got settled there. So, with the concept in mind, how is it helpful to FPL managers and how might it be a hindrance to FPL managers? I guess is what we're going to talk about. Uh, Let's talk about the positive upside first. Uh, Anthony tactical application, risk calculation? How do you think the uh, effective bank and the uh, impact managers positively?
0: So yeah, from the upside perspective, I think primarily with your tactical approach, you should probably be led by your underlying stats, your eye tests, the old reliables. But it is still important to know the inevitable downside of any moves you make and knowing that downside to turn it into a positive and make more educated transfers as a consequence so you can look at for example you know consider it the opportunity cost the player that you don't pick up deciding who that player is that you buy and who the player is that you didn't buy can be aided by looking at effective ownership and understanding who's going to hurt you more for example right now if you were looking at buying Manchester City Defender because uh, Stones is already quite popular. And of course, as we just said in market forces, he's being bought in in on mass. You, you know that the opportunity cost of not going with Stones, instead of going with the likes of Diaz, it could be quite high. And I think that's kind of something that you need to keep in mind no matter what. And so tactically, that's where effective ownership, I think, from a transfer perspective and with captaincy can come particularly in handy.
3: I do find it very useful and I think when you're kind of assessing the danger points both inside and and outside of your team so you can look at it as a positive light for instance you know the likes of later as we've talked about previously on the pod famous upside chaser um, targeting some of those um, low owned players like Martial to try and gain an added edge against um, their rivals just because of low effective ownership. And you can talk about other players, for instance, um, you know, like Mares who might have a particularly low ownership if you're looking for a specific differential any week, as opposed to sort of following the, the masses, I suppose, with, uh, you know,
2: targeting likes of Stones. Both your points are really good there. Like Anthony covering transfers primarily. You know, you said you consider the players you buy, you didn't buy, and you kind of make that a judgment, don't you, of who's going to hurt you more? I like we said there, Nick, about giving you a bit of an added edge to the understanding of what's going on. I think captain, particularly, is where effective ownership really crystallizes because you're able to kind of see if my captain bangs this week, I'm going to make one hell of a gain. Or on the other side of it, if my captain bans this week, I'm going to be in the same boat as everybody else. And you can therefore kind of assess, um, as Anthony said, the risk reward, the opportunity cost of going with that out there punt uh, versus going for the kind of a herd pick, I suppose. Away from the individual, there are other ways of looking at um, this too, because there are, for example, in defence, cases for saying, you know, you should probably look at that as a unit as Adam Pritchard said in question for us um so effective ownership of a defense versus single player could be quite useful so think in kind of this season uh Southampton defense at the, when uh, McCarthy was uh, an octopus and keeping out everything owning him or KOP was a good idea last year Nick Pope um owning him or someone like Charlie Taylor was a good idea and this is where we kind of had that kind of old idea of compound differentials remember them and um, so the idea was that if you if everyone's got one or two players and having that third player and kind of the impact of having the set, therefore it was a thing that set you apart. So think about the old days when Lalana, Firmino and Coutinho were all plausible to own in tandem or Kane, Ali and Harrison, or maybe Rose from uh, uh, Spurs that year. Nick, defence wise, I mean, is it something that you look at in terms of effective ownership? I mean, James Justin this year, for example, you're not very happy with, have you?
3: Yeah, James Justin certainly has been pretty punishing in terms of his effective ownership just because of the sheer amount of people that own him. So, for instance, this week he scored 14 points, which was 6.44 effective points against me. In fact, it was Leicester really and West Ham that just really punished me this week. No other team really did any impact on me, on me but it was West, West Ham and Leicester so West Ham was 12.97 and um, there was a gain from that Premier League team against me because I only had Suchek as my coverage and uh, Leicester I didn't own anyone so had a, they had a gain of 9.39 Um, all these managers around me getting all of those James Justin points, a few Vardy points sprinkled in there as well, um, just catching me out completely. And uh, generally this week, obviously I did pretty badly, but I think, you know, you you raised some interesting cases. I think with Chilwell, for instance, this season, he's had such a high ownership and he's always been on my sort of threat table, so to speak, but I've never really been too concerned because I've had coverage in the Chelsea defence with Kurt Zuma and, Obviously, with Southampton defence as well, I had Kyle walker Peter. So when I saw the likes of McCarthy sitting there on the, you know, danger, danger list, as we put it earlier, or the likes of Yannick Vestergaard, I, w- I was less concerned, but... Ultimately as well, when, when you're talking about the defence, you're not just talking about one player doing the damage. It could be multiple players. So this, this week with West Ham, there were Fabianski owners, there were Soufar owners, you know, there was Dawson owners out there and Cresswell owners, and that really just compounded and caught me out to a certain extent. So you, you have to think about when you're covering the defence... If there's plenty of players that plenty of managers own, you're really at danger. And I think you got also got quelled, didn't you, Tom? I suppose with the City defence as well, and the
2: double clean sheet. Yeah, rem- rem- as a reminder of, of like you know like not only Manchester United defenders in the past. I remember when Phil Jones one year just became an absolute moss stone because he just they just kept grinding out those clean sheets under Mourinho
0: maybe we didn't throw in this year's key example with the defence was Chelsea where there was a point where their defence had an effective ownership of over 100% so basically your first Chelsea defender the first clean sheet that you got from Chelsea was just utterly defensive it just held your rank and you needed really that second Chelsea defender to get any gains and that was mostly thanks to Chilwell and Zuma as you noted but there was you know, Obviously, there were other options in that Chelsea defence too that some people went for. But yeah, as you say, Tom, the attacking side is the other side of this. And I think the best example that we've seen so far this season is Son and Kane where there was a point where having both of them didn't necessarily get you a green arrow unless you captained one of them as well, because they were both so popular. They were both in so many teams that were doing well, let's say in your usual rank tier for active managers. And they were so commonly captained. If you didn't basically get those three point streams from the two players, you found that you weren't actually going anywhere. So that gives you a good idea of how from an attacking perspective, how important they can be with elite players. But they're also important when it comes to thinking about your cover picks, because it, comes from the perspective of assessing the value of that cover, that, okay, you have your top player, which would be, for example, with a Manchester United, it would be Bruno Fernandes, but you have to assess how much value you could get from the likes of Marcus Rashford and to what extent he could cover bruno fernandez points if he does well and there comes a point where bruno fernandez for example is so popular highly owned that your cover could no, is no longer a cover and is actually just a, dis- a discreet tactical choice against the popular player and it's up for you then to you know, decide to beat him or join them on the fernandez pick and continue perhaps with your discrete, not a cover pick anymore rashford but it's effective ownership that allows you to really assess that to understand Whether Rashford, Rashford is the one that's gaining you points, but if he's not gaining you points compared to the amount that uh, Bruno is continually hitting you for, it's just not worth it. Definitely.
3: Yeah, exactly. I was I was thinking along the same lines, actually, of Bruno and Rashford. And we've, it kind of links in, I guess, with, with talisman theory as, to a certain extent, because Bruno is the talisman. He's the one you want. Obviously, you can try and cover Bruno with Rashford. But, you know, Bruno's actually outscored Rashford by 47 points this season, which is pretty ridiculous, considering Rashford's not really having a bad season. He's got seven goals and five assists to his name. But still, he's still being outscored by a whole 47 points. And... You know, I've, I've made mistakes in the past a little bit as well. I mean, this season, I, I tried to perhaps cover uh, Salah with Jota, which uh, was working OK until he got injured. But in previous seasons, I've made mistakes such as Trying to cover Sanchez with or in, in the infamously poor double game week for me. And, uh, you know, so it's very, you have to be very careful with these sort of things when you're covering the midfielders. I think certainly with the defenders, you can cover other defenders with, because um, obviously the clean sheet points are all kind of shared. But with the attackers and the midfielders, with the element of
2: talisman theory, I think there's a little bit more risk in that kind of strategy. Yeah, no, certainly. Is. You're very, very right on Bruno and Rashford, and I. I love the Sanchez Ozil uh, callback there, <laughs> Mesa uh, Hazard, Pedro
0: as well. That was one oh, that killed me. Goodness. I was on Pedro instead of I remember, Hazard. I remember that. That was in Hazard for the, oh. the hat trick, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, I was in. I think I was in Greece for that. Uh, anyway, um, I think you were. and just pulling back to what you said, Anthony, a minute ago. Um, I think you were right on picking up on the lads, Son and Kane, because that's the, that's the biggie, isn't it, in terms of this effective ownership malarkey. They've got a huge base ownership. So Kane, 45% at the time of recording, Son, 58%. So if there's a captionable game week for Spurs, um, you're often looking at over 100% effective ownership for both players. That means you don't gain by owning. Indeed, only slightly gain by captioning. The whole thing reeks of you know downside protection Ask covering effectively just as a case in point for my team for example there's two times a season i've gone without Spurs. Uh, the first being the game week nine wild card and my rank did improve actually from game week nine to now but i haven't really had i had son actually but i have no gained and son together Kane scored 62 points and Son scored for 65 points. The guys that I chose to bring in uh, were KDB, who scored 68, actually, and Vardy, 57. Now, that's a bit of a blunt way of looking at it. Let's have a look at one game week in particular, game week 12. Uh, game week I actually sold Vardy on, uh, so he got 12 points there. So on that week, Spurs beat Arsenal 2-0. Boo, Uh, Son scored 13 points against Arsenal and Kane scored 12. I had neither of those players. Um, So the effective points against me was absolutely huge. I absolutely pummeled because the guys who were on my side effectively here uh, were Dominic Calvert-Lewin with five points and Kevin De Bruyne with three. Uh, So I lost out on 17 points there, throwing a high effects ownership for both players. And there was a 500k rank loss right there due to not having those players. So there's an element of it being a hygiene factor to own them both, unfortunately, this season. Um, They have been so consistent. There's only been 11 blanks between them this season. And that's what's kind of creating that unique sticking power with them, which pulverises you each week if you don't own them. They do something. And I wonder whether this links nicely to the negative side, sort of a hindrance, because if you've got this sort of high effects ownership of players and it's a known thing, does it create the sort of you know, herd mentality and kind of foster the template and mean that beige play, I guess, <laughs> gets rewarded, Anthony?
0: Yeah, I, I think it, it definitely does. And, and maybe this is a problem with using effective ownership to lead your transfer decisions, is that if, if FPL was about trying to create the perfect template team, then yeah, you you would work solely based on effective ownership. And of course, you would do quite well from that, presumably, um, if the template is going well, um, because albeit marginally, the compound differential of having that team would uh, lead you along nicely because nobody else would have you know necessarily the exact template team that you have as things tend to shift around. So there is, of course an issue with leading everything with effective ownership. But at the same time, there is great value in what the likes of uh, Fancy Football Fix or Live FPL offer you, which allows you to look at ownership and especially effective ownership in order to base on your picks and it helps you to mitigate risks. It's, as we've noticed, particularly useful for defenders who, of course, score as a unit as opposed to just as individuals. Not as useful when you've got defenders who get as much attacking returns as, let's say, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robbo would have got last season or Robbo continues to do this season. Um, and it's also very useful, of course, for making transfers, especially, I think, from a defensive perspective, i.e. To, to fortify your rank, because you know the players that are hurting you. For example, for me, it's James Justin as a player who just continues to hurt me, and it seems like I can't, I, I'm really making a bold choice to go on without him, even though I had him earlier in the season, and like many people, was afraid of Ricardo Pereira coming back. So this is this is the problem with effective ownership, is that, of course, it's extremely useful, and you should pay attention to it, but it's not the be-all and end-all and FPL is still about picking up points and enjoying the game, not just maximising yield from popular picks and reducing risk. Um, We are FPL managers, not actuaries.
2: Yeah, I think the, the fact that effective ownership is so tactical and kind of fosters this gamified reading of the game makes it feel so sort of unmagical and very sort of clinical and some people just don't like that in the same way that you know stats had a bit of a blowback when they first came out the famous jeff stelling rant again xg i mean there is kind of a fluffy side there as well with um, with effective ownership so uh, as usual this year i'm doing badly sigh little violin comes out um, and I found it really hard this year particularly like because you've got so many games to watch and you've only got 11 players playing and I've said this before um, but they're, they're, you've only got 11 11- players for you and innumerable ones going against you watching every game you know or maybe you know loads more than normal it really heightens those sort of sliding doors moments where your player could have got something especially clear of kdb on the triple, triple captain this weekend oh i'm sorry this week and it deepens at least for me that sense of sucker punch when a player i don't own happens to return and basically all of this for me is fueled by man understanding of effective ownership like i have players i know i really don't want to score as well as players I overlooked like stones as i mentioned earlier on and you know, I wish I had the personality to watch games and kind of not think about things that way and not think about fantasy football. And some may be like, "Oh, shut up, you sado! Just enjoy the football." But I can't, I just can't do it anymore because I'm, you know, obviously deep into the FPL. So I mean, I, I must admit, this week I hit a bit of a brick wall with it, and uh, there was a bit of morbid curiosity of watching my rank fall and fall, uh, but really didn't feel good. So you know, I've actually removed Fix from my phone and I've stopped checking live rank like during the week. It's just too much, and I might kind of stop checking Twitter a little bit as well. I've got no problem with people posting their points and stuff like that. But I mean, for me, it was just one of those things. Right, especially when, Kate, when when De Bruyne went off, that was a moment where I was just like, right, you know, I've got to I've got to think about this a little bit better. Um, obviously that's what lends me doing poorly. Like if I was doing well, probably the polar opposite. I'd be loving looking at my live rank going up and probably be posting to Twitter as well. Um, but yeah, I mean that's just an example of how perhaps friendship can have like a negative psychological effect on managers. Uh, sorry, Nick, uh, if you've been waiting patiently, what's your view on all this?
3: Uh, I think yeah, you. you played it pretty well I think obviously I had a pretty shoddy game week as well and and it kind of makes you not want to go on social media when you kind of see this this slow burn of people celebrating their points over the course of the week and and that's just um, that's just mainly because of the way the schedule's worked out especially this particular game week has been the sort of the longest game week in history hasn't it? And one of the most painful ones but I think you know sort of moving back I guess to sort of effective ownership and sort of as you said the reinforcement of herd behavior you know I looked at like one player for instance and this is Patrick Bamford and this is a player I haven't owned all season but every 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 game week I go on to live FPL and I can see that Bamford has about a 78% or 80% ownership around my rank tier and you know that that has a fear element every time I see him on the ball and he gets plenty of chances. doesn't put many of them away, thankfully, but he does get plenty of chances and makes it sort of very scary, I guess, watching Leeds, um attack with him. And, and, you know, it's the whole idea of bringing in Bamford just because of fear is, just so lame, isn't it ultimately? And it does make you think, am I going to, if I wanted to do a transfer, for instance, get rid of Shea Adams finally and bring in Bamford, you know, am I doing it purely out of fear and the, the effective ownership or am I actually doing it because I think he's the best pick um that i can afford and you know reality is i might want to actually do something a little bit more exciting maybe like bring in um, edison cavani or something like that or lacazette or even someone like a a cheeky punt on neil mopay but it's not it's not, not worth it is it because you know you've got that risk of patrick bamford getting that haul and absolutely ruining your rank and i guess that's kind of like you don't really want to play fpl with fear do you you want to play with um for fun and and Bring in random players and have a bit of a laugh, but the whole concept of effective ownership kind of makes you think, actually, should I just do the safe thing and bring in Pat, uh, Patrick Bamford?
2: Yeah, it's, it's just the risk versus reward thing, isn't it, writ large? So, you know, my risk is there's an opportunity in going for a down the path less trodden um but obviously that can then bite you spectacularly brutally uh, as we've seen in kind of all sorts of seismic 50 uh, 50s going on this season i guess that kind of brings us back to the overarching question here like what do we think about effective ownership um for me i think it's something that i completely agree with what anthony was saying right at the top about it being a really useful kind of tactical tool which helps you to understand and kind of plan your um plan your moves plan your captaincy and it's just kind of another um element of information in the arsenal of left FPR manager um but i do think that there's kind of limits with it especially if you're not doing very well if you're doing very well then it's obviously kind of one of those kind of great friends to have for me it's a, bit of a false friend at the moment i just don't want to know and i want i'm kind of shunning it right now I'll put it that way but i think that that kind of through my own personal lens and i think the effects of ownership is one of those things that i do really like it's just one of those things as well that from a watching football perspective I wish I didn't know about and I do sometimes rue the day I learned what effective ownership was but I suspect that's going to be the, the answer you expect of me um, Anthony I suspect you've got a more bullish view on it
0: Definitely I think I have a much more positive view of effective ownership than uh, the two of you guys but maybe that's just uh, the game week speaking as much as anything else That if, at least at the end of the day uh, because I knew that I had Watkins and Martinez to come and I was on about a grey arrow I reckoned that my arrow was going to go green at the end of this grey week even if I just got a, um, a period points so I felt a little bit better having looked at the effective ownership and knowing what was going to happen Uh, but overall effective ownership I think is extremely useful from a transfer planning and captaincy planning perspective basically allowing me to figure out what I might miss out on if I make a certain decision and whilst that's a very you know negativist outlook I use it to try and propel my rank in a positive direction and I think it's just that framing and how you use it and don't use it as a stick to beat yourself in the middle of bad game weeks and you know that that does mean distancing yourself from live fpl when things are going badly and trying to not be that guy who doesn't tweet when things are going badly but inevitably doing a little bit of that along the way as well
3: yeah i think it is something that we shouldn't really let it rule our thinking but it is ultimately an important part of the fpl game and Um, your strategy and it's something that you do have to factor in when you're making your decisions um so for instance if you're kind of in a higher rank as i was earlier on in the season um i often look to consolidate that position as much as possible by targeting highly owned players if you say you're more in the sort of 600k to 1 million rank you're not going to be bringing in the players that are highly owned ultimately because you're not going to make any gains on the guys in the top 10k if everyone owns James Justin if everyone owns Antonio and Stones you're going to be looking at other differentials other picks to try and catch up or or gain that edge or or if you're in the top 100k you might be more of a late riser type character and actually say no not good enough rank for me I want to be in the top 100 so I'm I'm going to be targeting those differentials again and uh, going for those players that perhaps can get you that biggest upside so I think it is definitely an effective tool and something that um should be considered um yeah as long as you're not kind of madly refreshing live rank and getting in some sort of like doom scrolling <laughs> or vpl
2: for like a whole week red arrow scrolling yeah yeah all right cool good chat let's uh, take a break there and move on uh, to the correspondence and q a who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and it's time to catch up with the, who
3: got the Assist mini league as i said earlier the code is cpsulf if you want to join and yeah it, it's it's a lot of change actually in in the league uh, the top five all having used chips um but four bench boosters and a triple captainer so um in in fifth place is Gunnar lemon he got 149 points this week ridiculous score um so he's climbed 54 places in, in the who got the assist mini league as well. So very impressive. In in fourth, we've got another riser here with, with Nicola. He he got 139 points, also bench boosted. In know, we've got Wallace Clark, um, 125 points for him, um, also bench boosted. In in second, we've got Ryan Longstaff of the Longstaff Brothers. Um, he got 157 points, which is just ridiculous score uh, having bench boosted captain sterling so a little bit of a differential captain there um as well but um number one um a familiar name david is it with Hestwam untied uh took a minus eight but got 127 points and triple captains de bruyne as well so really good score for him he's now up to overall rank 144 in the world so yeah very
2: very impressive well done mate oh yeah very well done guys so I'm just jealous of those monster scores, to be honest. Uh, my time will come again. My time will come again. That's why I keep telling myself. Right. Speaking of something coming again, it is the correspondence. Yes, the section we thought we'd seen the back of, but no, it's back. Here it is, limping into view, the wolf we can't shake from our door. Anthony, what's going on?
0: Yeah, it's, it's one hell of a poem. <laughs> Yes,
2: indeed, Tom. We've got the correspondence section. It's
0: finally back um, after a few weeks where we couldn't fit it in because we just wouldn't be basically doing any of the correspondence justice if we fit it into a pod that had a shelf life of the guts of 24 hours, if even that over the last while but we've really made up for it with probably the most spectacular piece of correspondence thus far if i was to say so myself if i was to dare to do so and it's come from a fellow irishman gavin doyle who's actually living over in mexico and he sent this poem to us a recording of it himself he himself narrating it um just for the turn of the year so you'll hear he's wishing everyone a happy new year and us a happy new year in it which is very nice of him but uh it's, it's a really fantastic
1: piece happy new year nick tom and anthony or, as they say, in this neck of the woods, Feliz Año Nuevo. This is Gavin in Guadalajara wishing you all the best for 2021. And inspired by last week's profundities of Kyle's dystopian epic of hershed hipsters and gothic coffee shops opining so forcefully about FPL, I've decided to put pen to paper, or in this case, fingers to touchscreen. So, this is called 2020 20 Verses, 20 Curses. The first question is the meter which one should I choose? Maybe iambic pentameter or perhaps a haiku. Or perchance like William Shakespeare with a sonnet that's heart torn. But if FPL is my true love, then it is a love forlorn. With the alluring promise of fantasy, the game is now afoot. But back in harsh reality, deep digs the cut. With players benched and others sick, no fans and stadia closed. The game, it speaks of poetry, but offers me now but prose. Prepare for the doubles, hold on to your chips, above all beware the blanks, but with each unending squad rotation, once more my overall rank sinks like a stone, further neath-tossed waves, all the while my sub-goalie continues to make saves. Oh captain, my captain, wherefore art thou? Wrapped in a Covid bubble? What hope rests now? Perhaps my bench can steady the ship and ride out the storm as my mini leagues slip from my hands. Once again, since project restart, this game has done nothing but break my poor heart. Captain fails and COVID voids mediocrity of the eon as I languish somewhere just outside 2.45 million with each Leeds goal fest. Oh, had I bought into the fuss or for each city attacker that peps left on the bus. I shake my fists and curse ye gods, a clean sheet would be handy. I put my faith in Cain and Son, but the halls come for Fernandez. And as for Salah, the Egyptian king, he shall crush those he opposes. Except this week he faces Red Sea United and their in striker Moses. I take point hits and roll the dice and build team value slowly. But all the while, my best scoring man is still my alternate goalie. Is there any hope in sight, perhaps a change of luck? But the light at tunnel's end is but a fast oncoming truck. Yet I struggle on regardless, some arrows green, more often red. And I tune in optimistically to hear pearls of wisdom said by Anthony, Nick and Tom. What's the latest? What have I missed? Who scored three bonus points and who got the assist? Perhaps their inside knowledge can bring me in the know I may not win the game at large, but perhaps just Mexico. So farewell 2020, 12 months of chaos and discord. At least as Fantasy Bundesliga, where last week I got up to fourth. But FPL is a cruel mistress who taunts me over and again. I'd like to bid her adieu, but for now, I'll just say Auf Wiedersehen.
0: Isn't it absolutely
1: spectacular, lads? Like,
0: multiple languages. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> yeah. <There you> <laughs> multiple languages. That's um that. Really, really nicely knitted in uh, FPL allusions and talk. Oh, just really, really spectacular stuff. And uh, thanks so much for that. Uh, you'll find Gavin on Twitter at Gavin underscore Doyle underscore IE. And uh, he's well worth a follow, even just for his poetry, it seems. Um, that's, uh, he's really got a talent for that. Uh, so thanks so much for sending that in, Gav. If you want to have something featured on the correspondence section, you can just email us to who got the assist at gmail.com. We'll take recordings, as you've now heard for the first time. And uh, we'll take poetry, we will take questions, whatever it is on your mind uh, might be addendums to this pod, it might be questions about fpl the meta that it is might be just questions about us it's this is a very versatile slot so fire it in and uh, (laughs) we will get to it at some point lads.
2: just imagine the slot doing gymnastics i'm not sure what the slot would like look like in one's mind's eye but there's something you see that that's the thing thing, tom the slot can
0: look like whatever you want it to be and that's the beauty of correspondence
2: (laughs) i'm I'm actually imagining you know like the the gmail logo like on a trapeze or something (laughs) I need, to stop. I need to stop taking those pills. All anyway, right, let's move on to the questions. Um, and the first one this week is, is a fairly obvious one. It is the aftermath of Kevin De Bruyne's uh, uh, withdrawal, unfortunately, um, in the 58th minute. Not that I'm bitter about that; it's costing me points on triple captain. Only got oh, and you got 20. And you got good. Anyway, um, sorry, I, I digress. Um, but yeah, it's a KDB less uh, Man City this week with loads of questions on this. Uh, ben Pelling, JD Pandafini and triple Nutmeg asked about City players in the wake of KDB's injury, and I guess FPL tips as well. Harry puts it quite nicely. He asks, you know, is Man City midfield now a trap. Should we be looking elsewhere for our KDB replacement? Um, Nick, what do you reckon here?
3: Yeah, I I would disagree with um, calling Manchester City a a trap. I'd certainly say there are a few options out there for them. Obviously, um, we know from the past that there's a little bit of risk of rotation out there, but I certainly think there's a few assets that are worth calling out. Um, But firstly, I'd want to mention the fixtures. Um, again West Brom Sheffield United and Burnley up next West Brom looking particularly right for the taking having conceded the most goals in the league with 43 which is nine more than any other team they've conceded the most shots as well um, the only team with triple figures for shots on target 119 um, we, do, we do know they've now got Big Sam at the helm so he, he's obviously trying to look to shore up that defense but still I, I can imagine a big score for City so I think the um, the assets actually that I'd probably say are the, best choices, at least in the midfield, are Gunderhan and Sterling. I'm actually pretty interested in Sterling myself, um, just as a straight replacement. I've got the money, obviously, because I'm selling De Bruyne and he's around the same price. So um, I'm thinking that could be quite a nice differential this week. Um, Gunderhan, he's obviously the cheap alternative that we saw in the market forces. Um, He's had four goals in five games and it's only 5.5 million. Both of these guys were rested in the cup as well, which... um, is a positive I think because it probably means they're going to start in a league and, and Pep's going to be pretty peeved off with half the team that started in the cup this week. And they're probably all going to be on the naughty step as well after going one nil down against Charltonham. So I'm, I'm probably, yeah. I'm, I know it's a risk. We've done this in the past, trying to predict him, but I've, I'm feeling relatively confident that these guys are going to start. So I think that's a good shout. Um, a few few people calling out Foden as another option. Of course, he's an option um, scored. But the problem is scored <laughs> against Chelsea and Brighton and then didn't play against Palace. He's only actually started for the last 13 Premier League games. So
2: despite the talent that he obviously is,
3: I feel like with him, the risk is still a little bit high.
2: Fair enough. I think on Sterling, I just wonder if you weren't interested in him when one of the best chance creators in the world in F- in Kevin De Bruyne was fit. Why are you suddenly interested in him when he's absent? I I yeah, I, I can see why the straight stop appeals by some sense of kind of logic, but it feels a bit of a shortcut to me. I don't know. Uh, with Kevin De Bruyne out, it makes sense to decrease investment in City's attack. We've got a question on their defence in a minute, but nonetheless, as you pointed out, Nick, you know City got good fixtures, and in my view, uh, the Gundog is the guy there. The Gundog wagon, um, as I as I perhaps call that. Um, you know, decreasing my investment from 11.8 million to 5.5 million reflects the reality that this guy is not De Bruyne, but he does have the data. You know, he's got the third most shots and second most shots in the box in the last six. And the money you free up, a gargantuan amount of money you free up, uh, means that you can invest elsewhere. So maybe you'll put money into their defence, you know, upgrading your 4.0 piece of trash to Diaz. Or maybe next week you'd be looking at kind of saying, "Oh, you know what? Well, you know, I'm not too sure about Bamford anymore. Maybe I'll get Kane uh, for the uh, for the game against Brighton." I mean, with KDB, I know that Gundog was getting forward a little bit, and he may head back a bit without Kevin De Bruyne. But he's five point five million, and he's on penalties and he's still playing for a team which creates a lot of chances he's 5.5 million i'll say that again so we can align our expectations with that price tag we're removing a player in kevin de bruyne who has underwhelmed for that price tag and getting the player at 5.5 who perhaps would meet or exceed our expectations for the amount that we're paying it's all a bit of a pump i'd rather not run a comparison with last season without when kdb was out for a little bit because it's a different beast and things like that we can see how pep sets up about his talent talism- without his talisman but Oh, I'm probably on the Gondo wagon I mean Anthony what do you think about this and are there any other replacements out there because I'm aware that we have just focused on the Man City's uh, keeping with Man City with your KDB replacement
0: so I, I think you guys have kind of touched upon the, the two important sides of this and one is that OK, City are still a good team, even without Kevin De Bruyne. Um, in the last six game weeks, even though they haven't been in blistering form, they've been right up there across the league, second for goals, second for shots in the box. They've hit the post four times as well in that time. XG is second as well, but they have been quite reliant on set pieces for that XG, uh, much more reliant than the rest of the top five. And of course, hundo uh, has benefited from that already. And hundo himself is miles ahead of other fit City assets in terms of underlying data. And I think I'd agree with you, Tom, that if you were looking at a city attacking asset i would think i would look to him not uh, raheem sterling who as you say hasn't been or, like hasn't been of interest to us at his price point considering the other elite players that there are who are just more appealing so i guess when you're talking about then that okay, we've looked at the City assets. Gundogan is a good replacement there in midfield. Then you're talking about who would you be looking to bring in? And of course, an awful lot of people have sold Son, um with the double game week in mind. And if, okay, Spurs do have Liverpool this week, but then in spite of everything, they do have a few good fixtures interspersed with a few more difficult ones. They might have the honour of getting Frank Lampard sacked at the rate things are going um, in game week 22 at Chelsea. So that isn't even a fixture to fear uh, aside from the Liverpool one and Liverpool's form isn't exactly spectacular as we've seen as well. So San, I think, is probably the player that we're going to see quite popular here but of course there are cheaper options too and this ties in with a question we've had from hindu monkey who asked us if barnes or madison are in our, on our minds now with vardy ruled out so of course with kdb is the, the gap in midfield that a lot of people have and vardy is the leicester gap that people might be trying to fill or hoping that barnes and madison can fill so it uh, it makes sense i guess to be looking at these two players from two different perspectives and i think when you look at those two players um, traditionally, I think what we would say is that Harvey Barnes is wasteful and that he gets lots of chances, um, but doesn't necessarily score them. Now, yes. interestingly, <laughs> yes, but interestingly, over the last six game weeks, he's actually overperforming his XG from open play, which is 1.72. And he's managed to get three goals and that's from 16 shots. Mm. Now, he has played 120 minutes more, though, than James Madison in that period who has had an XG from open play of 0.67, which is a hell of a lot less than uh, Burns, but has got three goals as well from it in 12 shots. Uh, but only four of those shots came from the in the box so i think you can kind of see that you're looking at a very different player in terms of position as he actually shows out for leicester even though they're both rated as midfielders in the game um so both are players that have good days and leicester themselves are obviously doing quite well at the top of the table and they're sixth for xg they're the second biggest overperformers, in spite of that but they are still good assets and definitely worth thinking about lads would you say so
2: yeah definitely i think despite the fact there's fewer minutes just boiling it down to the key kind of uh, metric. Uh, Madison's only one point behind Barnes over the last six. So 34 points for Maddie, 35 for Barnes. And as you said, the data is a little bit, um, it is very similar. It's just that Madison's obviously got that creative edge uh, to what he does and Barnes takes a lot more shots the quality of those shots however I'd say is fairly low so while he's got the volume um, he does not have the quality behind that volume and obviously we all remember the hat trick against Aston Villa especially you Anthony um, And but I think that that was maybe one of those weeks where everything went right for him
0: it literally caused lockdown
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was, a lot. It was the, the last game wasn't it yep Um but if you watch him play, like he is so, he, some, nine out of 10 times, he's a complete headless chicken, especially you know, being a Vardy owner watching him play. It's just been it's, it's a terrible experience. He's always running into blind alleys. Like Vardy's run on his in space. What does Barnes do? He hits to the byline and suddenly you know, the ball goes off or he runs into the defender because he's overplayed I'd like it. to distance myself from this extreme language. <laughs>
0: headless chicken he's, just, he's, he's not just that he's
2: so he's, he's not so, that. He is so annoying to watch like because obviously I've, I've had vardy all the time so i'm looking at it through that lens where i'm just like well you could release him there and no no i mean he's, he, off he goes down the channel well, what are you doing bro just pass it to vardy and you've got a, i've got a goal for my fpl team like it's one of those ways that you look at it i i appreciate that i am slightly overstating it uh, but madison yeah i think that madison would be my choice of the two um at the risk of um getting into the as um, camp uh, for which I'm going to need to have a shower because I'm a little bit dirty for, for embracing one of those players that he loves but no, he's got a nice mix of the offensive and the creative sides of his game as you mentioned Anthony and I think that he might be the one that I'd like especially against Leeds and uh, so the, the idea is this week I watch him him and Barnes against Everton and the week after that Leeds game followed by the Fulham game it'll be worth having I think one of them if I can and because I, I'm selling Kevin De Bruyne and probably for Gundo, I can sell Suchet for either one of them and it is quite nice to be able to have the Everson game just to size up which one I really want but leaning Madison as being the guy
3: yeah, I, th- I think a lot of your frustrations with with Harvey Barnes are ultimately because he doesn't pass to Jamie Vardy. I think the headless um, chicken comparisons, perhaps a little bit harsh. I mean, ultimately <laughs> he, he gets a he does get a lot of goal attempts, so that that's always a positive. Poor goal attempts. A, he's a selfish player, but we like selfish players, and his shot accuracy is actually pretty decent, to be honest. This season is forty six point two percent, which is higher than the likes of Bruno Salah and Rashford. And it's only really Son that's had better shot accuracy. than... Than Barnes um, out of the sort of top 20 uh, midfielders for goal attempts. So I wouldn't really. A
0: restrained sharpshooter or headless chicken. That's uh, what you've got. A a restrained restrained headless headless chicken. His (laughs) shots,
3: um, (laughs) you can't say that all his shots are. High and wild in the same did, way that I didn't used say, to see that. From, I didn't say, that. I Andrus. said that he should
2: pass it to Jamie Vardy. I didn't say well, it he, was doesn't, high and wild. he doesn't pass
3: it, but you know, we do like selfish players in, in FPL a little bit. We like the likes <laughs> of Madison who would never pass, so it's, it's not a concern. I think Madison is an interesting one, he's done pretty well in the last few games. What I did notice though is just his decline really in the past few seasons. So this season, he's only created 32 chances, which ranks him 10th out of all midfielders um, in 19 games, um, which is an easy sum to. Do by looking at the last couple of seasons. So last season, he was fourth for chances created with 78. And the year before that, which was is his first, first in the Premier he? League is first with with 99 chances created. So he's he's declining in terms of what his output is. We used to compare him as or used to say he was better than Jack Grealish because he was putting in the performances. Now it seems like a completely ridiculous and daft thing to say that we everyone <laughs> regrets. And it's also the same actually with goal attempts. So 83 goal attempts in his first season, 74 in the second, and and now 33 this campaign, which will be 66. Um, multiply it by two, so. Um, so that's a little bit of concern, I guess with Jack uh, not with Jack sorry with uh, James Madison, though, of course we're always looking at the the nearest of futures in the last three games he's he's scored in every single game, so perhaps he's turning
0: a corner again with his form. See the Maybe. the thing with Maddie. Sorry, Tom, to go one more time on him. Um, sorry, the thing with Maddie. And I think if you were listening to his post match press post match interview that he did uh, the other day, he was talking about himself how he's playing kind of as a six, so effectively a defensive midfielder, and then he's trying to add more goals to his game by kind of breaking into the box late and inevitably taking long shots as well. Um, But he's certainly not going to be a player that you're going to find getting tap-ins at all frequently. Um, But he is, of course, on the odd set piece. So that's what makes Madison interesting. And I guess what you're doing with him is backing quality if you decide to bring him into your team. His chance production has fallen. Like you, you noted his... You know, season-long stats, and of course, he has missed. He missed quite a lot of minutes at the start of the season, though he was like in and around the squad. And so, if you even look in the last four game weeks in terms of chances created, he's absolutely nowhere near the high ranks. There, he's uh, extremely far down, so far down that I might get arthritis in my finger trying to scroll down the list to see how far down he is. So. You kind of give you an idea of just, you know, he's a very different player to what we came to know in the league, probably much more quality over quantity, whereas he used to be Mr. Quantity in terms of shots and creativity.
2: Yeah, no, indeed. I just feel like I should insert a small disclaimer here, but I could well end up with Barnes and completely deny this this, this character assassination i embarked on ever took place This pulling back all the way to the initial question a long time ago if it was right like now um on the kb replacements there's one guy we should probably mention as well which is marcus rashford so i'm assuming most people have bruno fernandez i'm assuming that in terms of you know buying liverpool players if you don't if, you, if you're interested in salah or over the last few weeks hmm, who knows um, if you're interested in a player like Grealish, i'm assuming that those kind of moves do look like they're pretty obvious so we're kind of going for the sort of person who's got those players what do I do next um a player worth mentioning is Marcus Rashford um just because maybe doubling up with him um, and Bruno might be a good idea for the next little run for United, which is actually not too bad at all. Um, I had looked at it earlier on and I was surprised that it's kind of flown under the radar a little bit. A Sheffield United at home, I'm assuming that'll be a massive Bruno captaincy. So again, that compound differential idea, having him and Rashford might be really useful for that at the bottom. It may also um, be, just to go of-
0: into a compound differential, it might be the only way to get a green arrow from that game specifically, is to have more than one United yeah. asset because Bruno is going to be so captained. Even if you captain him, you won't get a huge amount of gain from-
2: Promise. yeah you're just covering your ass aren't you um but sheffield united arsenal away southampton everton at home so two home games in a row west brom away and then newcastle at home 20 to 25 that's six good games in a row uh, for marcus rashford who uh, for all, to all intents and purposes has just been always the bridesmaid never the bride all the way back into project restart like martial and bruno have both kind of taken uh, in Restart. obviously martial and bruno have just taken all the love and poor old dr marcus has just been on the, uh, uh, left by the wayside hasn't he over the last six um he's been all right he's, he's done okay so for example compared to madison his xg is you know two um over the last six compared to madison's 0.22 He's had more shots in the box of Madison, same amount as uh, Harvey Barnes did, same amount of shots, actually and so far more touches in the box as well like and he does at times interplay with Martial so him and Martial's opposition and you have uh, Rashford being the number nine of course he's now a midfielder and um, whereas last year he was a striker and he's one of those players as well whose ownership is actually very very low because of the constant disappointment because of the fact that he's kind of failed to uh, really fire the imagination in people looking for this sort of player um down to 13.1 ownership now um and I think that he could be one of those players who are who, who, if you are looking to climb, has the fixtures and has kind of the ability um, to kick into that level of form, as we saw last year. Uh, I think when Nick you owned him actually, that um, he could be one of those players who, if you are looking for those sort of um, you know, climate differentials, um, might be worth looking at. Uh, Nick, what do you reckon about your, your old mate Rashford? Would you be looking at getting him in?
3: Yeah, I'd strongly um, consider him as an option. I think he certainly, as you mentioned, Manchester United have some great fixtures as well. And he, he's certainly one of the sort of the top performing midfielders in the game at the moment. I think there's a, there's a few options out there. I think personally, I'm, I'm probably fancying the Raheem Sterling punt as much as uh, it was derided earlier as a poor choice with De Bruyne being out of the game. I just fancy him as... Um, a really decent differential um, for this uh, for this game week. His ownership as well is, is particularly low as well, six point three percent. So, if he returns, it will be uh, that is low. A, a big a big win for me. So I'm I'm fancying him over the Rashford punt, but I think Rashford certainly one that should be on many managers' radar uh, for this game week. Um, you know, it's, it's a plum home fixture ultimately, isn't it? Manchester United against bottom of the league. So. Uh, certainly one that you know I wouldn't frown against managers bringing
2: in cool I think we've done that to death and hopefully that's quite a lot of good uh KDB replacements for you uh, let's move on to the next thing which I think we're all sort of cagely trying to uh, avoid uh, which is where that money may go so if you're replacing comes with anybody basically apart from Salah or Bruno suddenly you've got loads of money If you didn't own sister defender, you own one. um, Maybe you'd be looking at moving your way your resources back into that defence. And General Zod actually asked a very good question about this. He asked, you know, is defensive differentiation the way to go now? Because people are looking at such similar sort of template attacks. Obviously with Kevin De Bruyne out, there are a few options kind of showing up, uh, but eyes really are turning to Man City's back line. Uh, FPL Dougal, for example, asks his triple up the way to go. Our friend Mitchell Sterling, you know, had that triple up this week and really reap the dividends of that. I mean, it's absolutely huge, isn't it? Like some defenses, this double game really carry people. I mean, obviously I, I'm not sure John Stone is going to score a brace again anytime soon. Uh, well, I've owned, I own him now, so I hope he does, um, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. But what really, you know, surprises me about all of this is that looking at the ownership of Manchester defense it is still really low like i i'm i'm shocked flabbergasted by that none of them i don't think are about 20 percent. is easy points and i really wish i did it and uh yeah obviously hindsight is a beautiful thing and makes you look very very stupid and my god looking at those numbers i feel very stupid now yeah, it's actually interesting, Tom. You've picked up on
0: the same detail I did. And, you know, we're being asked here about double ups and triple ups. And that's definitely people who are looking at the City defence through the lens of uh, FPL Twitter and people posting pictures of John Stones and other City defenders this week um, on their timeline. Uh, even in my uh, ranked tier, you're looking at uh, 30%, 30.7% is the most owned of those players. And that's uh, Stones. Uh, Cancelo and Diaz are about 26%, 25% each as well. And uh, Ederson actually has a uh, fairly decent ownership as well, kind of double figures. So. They're both all in. They're all interesting ones, and I think when it comes to city, we talked about Gundogan earlier. I think that you, really one of the questions you need to ask yourself is: Do you think that your third city defender or Ederson would outscore Gundogan over the next few weeks? And even if you think about the last six stones, forty nine, Gundogan has forty four. DS forty two, and then you've Ederson and Cancelo both on thirty one points. So you know there's a bit of a di- there is obviously a bit of a difference there. I think Ederson, you know that you're not going to get any bonus points from him and not many save points, but there is the consistent clean sheets if you believe in those. Whereas Cancelo, you've got the uh, rotation risk. Uh, rest in peace, me, in the uh, double game week. So that's kind of what you need to consider. I think you should be looking at the double up. I think you should probably be considering the triple up with that basic. <laughs> do you want Hunduan one or do you want uh, Cancelo stones? Mm-hmm. Uh, ederson pick name that's appropriate for your team
2: yeah i think with ederson you've got the martinez factor the monster that is nick pope and i think obviously it's it's harder to move the goalkeeper around unless you're wild carding but no i absolutely agree it is pretty much a straight shooter isn't it because the prices are in a similar locale as well in terms of um you know your cancello or your diaz um to your your gundo wagon you're going to probably have to go all the way up to you know foden or something and you know, do you really want to do that we didn't mention bernardo silva for example earlier on he could be another player and um, who does come through <sighs> i mean really that kind of stones diaz sort of uh, duopoly is probably going to be one of those things that does uh, persist for a while nick what do you reckon here i mean defence in general is that the way to differentiate at the moment do you see the big at the back your kind of signature move coming back do you reckon yeah
3: it might do to be honest especially if you're talking about people moving money from De Bruyne to Gundogan and you've got extra six million to to play with why not kind of go through four um you know expensive centre-backs and actually to be honest this this game week it was all about the defenders the midfielders and the attackers apart from perhaps antonio did absolutely nothing the teams um, with the huge scores had the likes of stones um, the likes of diaz and, and sufau and james justin with these kind of monster scores and you know if you went five at the back you would have probably smashed it so um, yeah I think there is a case potentially for expensive defenders obviously the Manchester City ones I'm I'm looking at Stones I was was looking at him anyway uh, before his brace unfortunately but um, I've got Kurt Zuma to get rid of so it's quite an easy move for me that one so that's definitely something I'm considering there obviously I think um, it's worth highlighting the Manchester United defence as well Uh, plenty of options there Um, but you know Sheffield United at home up next that's Probably going to be a clean sheet, guaranteed, isn't it? And after that, it's it's quite a nice run, as you said. Arsenal potential clean sheet, Southampton potential clean sheet. They've got games against West Brom and Newcastle as well, so you can keep them for quite a while. Someone like Maguire, and and you might get a goal that's not labelled a, a foul at some point as well. So uh, yeah, I think I think United defenders potentially could be part of a big big at the back. Um, element i think the other team actually i wanted to talk about quickly was aston villa i know a lot of us own martinez already so we might not be considering doubling up but they've um, certainly been very solid as well over this period um and yeah they've got nine clean sheets over 19 games now um actually i think it's less than 19 games because they've had a few cancellations so they've got some double game weeks coming up as well which are a good time to invest in aston villa and they've got Burnley, southampton west ham arsenal brighton as their next five so it could could be another three potentially even four clean sheets in there. You know, probably not, but you're going to get some clean sheets from the likes of Matt Target or something that only costs you 4.6 million. And he's he's, he's uh, rocked mm. up with an assistance and bonus tonight as well.
2: Yeah, so it feels like they could potentially be the new Southampton or something like that. In fact, they've been pretty defensively solid for a while. we documented them in the last pod. And so that could be a nice kind of under-the-radar pick. Uh, let's move on to the next question. We did not, in that defensive discussion, mention robertson or trent on arnold and that would probably be one of those things that would be unthinkable at the start of the season unthinkable at many points of the season uh, but liverpool ripoff is one of those things that has been coming up in the zeitgeist a little bit uh, fpl osmo asks what do we do with liverpool assets we've De the injured and man city defensive options less than six million do we hold and hope things turn around as we've got lots of spare cash i mean I, I love to see what people are doing with her saying, I'm selling salad this week. Where's it going? What are you doing? If you're also if Kevin De Bruyne and Vardy are also up the equation, what, what are you doing with that money? Um, or he asked, do we just get rid? I think Liverpool were quite an interesting one. Just to have a look at actually. So I did a comparison of the last six weeks and the last and the six weeks before that. So I did a comparison of game week 14 to 19 and game week eight to 13. And, as a team, what's happened is that their shots on target has hugely decreased. And obviously goals have as well. But a lot of measures have remained stable. So things like, you know, shots in the box, big chances, there's been a slight drop-off next G, but they've had more shots. In this last period, they haven't really scored very many, in fact, at all. It's just that the quality has diminished. Defensively, actually, they're better uh, than between 8 and 13. They've had far lower big chances uh, conceded, for example, and far lower XGs conceded too. That is This kind of stat anomaly is mentioned by quite a few people on Twitter outside of the FPL sphere too. So Grace from Football and also James York from Stats Bomb have said, Things to this effect um grace said for example that per the unstat data the the chance of liverpool scoring zero goals in the last four is a measly 0.16 percent which is madness i mean they've had 72 shots in that time um, and i looked into this a bit more uh, their xg in that in the last four has been 5.52 which is half of man city incidentally but they have no goals what's happened the quality of shooting has diminished so the four before this their xg was 9.9 and they scored 15 goals of course that was fueled by palace in which they scored just below half of that number and it's also crazy to see the quality of chances decline too so between game weeks 12 and 15 uh, their xa uh, was 7.8 in the last four it was just 5.62 there's also the extra game in the last four as well so it's last four game weeks rather than last four games this is where the eye test becomes really important. I saw, again, a few kind of uh, people said, I didn't watch the game, but the stats were amazing. I don't really understand what's going on. I mean, if you if you do watch the games, again, we're not eye test wankers here. We know that we are always going to favour the stats. Data driven insights, what we do. But if you watch the games, you know they look flat. They're out of ideas. And the Athletic this week were reporting that it's a second coming of Klopp's funk that he experienced at Dortmund. Where again, all we did was just work hard on plan A rather than scratch together plan B. And we see this a lot of time with managers um, who've kind of won everything and struggled to motivate the team a little bit more. I remember uh, Ancelotti and Chelsea, for example, just went through that period of like 12 and 13 games where in press conferences he'd just say, we've got to focus. That's all he had to say because he was just like, I don't know what to do. Like my players just don't want to perform at the moment because they've won everything. I'm struggling for ideas. Nonetheless, I do expect them to start scoring again. um, But there is a bit of a tough run coming Nonetheless, for me, I'm not sure if they're top priority sales currently, looping back to what I said before, because there are other fires in loads people's teams. I don't know what people are doing with Salah. I can see why I'd be selling the likes of Robertson, even though his underlying stats are pretty decent. I'm just not sure if they're top priority sales currently. Um, Anthony, what do you reckon? Um, Liverpool guys. So, if
0: in my own team, personally, I only have Mo Salah. And I think just because I have bigger um uh, fires to fight, Uh, you can read that as Kevin De Bruyne, he's going to survive in my side for at least another week, and I think he'll survive through that, because we were talking about effective ownership earlier because his effective ownership is going to remain high. And whilst Liverpool do have a number of tough fixtures, starting off with the Spurs game, there are good ones in there too. And as you say, Tom, I do think they're going to start scoring um, again. And like, they're not going to continue this like unbelievable barren run for sure. Even though they are playing quite flat,
2: it's amazing. It really is. It's, it's, it's yeah. like Gambler's Fallacy writ large. When you just say, like, if someone said to me like two games ago they're not going to score another two games, I just be like you're an idiot. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, you'd you'd have just been like,
0: there's somebody is going to do something. You know, someone's going to have a howler. They'll get a penalty. You know, like just any of these kind of things that happen to good teams. Um, But no, hasn't happened, but it will happen. Uh, as for their defenders i was looking at robertson um have continued to look at robertson and have just never managed to get robertson into my side um because i can now get away with not putting him into my side for another few weeks and i can deal with the other fires that i have to fight i will avoid buying him basically um and i'll just leave them kind of settle down and get more players back fit and start playing a bit better overall i guess uh nick you do have andy robertson in your side do you not
3: still got him. I've got Robertson and and Salah. And uh, obviously uh, like you guys, I've got got some other fires that need to be sorted in my team. So both of those guys are going to be around for me for the next game week. Um, They're playing Spurs, so I fully expect them to to finally turn up again as they always do against us. Um, And after that, they've got West Ham and Brighton. So I think they're pretty decent fixtures, to be honest. So they'll probably get the state of execution for for those games anyway, regardless of the performance against Spurs. Um, After that, You know, there's a couple of really tough games, three sort of in the row that are quite tricky. So, you know, if if Salah still looks dreadful at this point, he's gonna have to go, isn't he? Um, same with Robertson no Robertson with Swiss has not been doing very well he's actually the top scoring defender in the game so maybe that's a, a fallacy as well um, mm. so you know it makes sense though I guess to a certain extent if you are one of those managers that wants to get City defence in desperately and you're looking at Robertson and saying actually he's, he's my biggest cash cow to to get in the likes of Diaz or Stones then that kind of makes sense to a certain extent but you know, we're, we're selling Salah. We always say this, you know, there's such a high risk, isn't it? The ownership. I, I thought I could get away with not owning him for basically one game and got punished when he performed <laughs> and got 16 points in 33 minutes. So, you know, there is that risk always with him.
2: Yeah, I I just feel like I've got Robertson. I, he just basically stays by default because I've got KDB to sell and I've got Vardy to sell. So he's like the third piggy bank or fourth piggy bank along the way. I, of course, I wish that I'd sold him for a Diaz or a Stones ahead of last week. But I mean, just the outcome shouldn't probably overshadow the thought process, which I still think was sound. It's just one of those brutal 50-50s that does happen. But yeah, no, interesting question. It'll be really interesting to see where Liverpool go from here. But um, as, as we've said, I, I can't imagine it. it's, it's going to continue um, in this kind of barren fashion. Final question this week. I thought it was quite an interesting one to throw in. Obviously, it segues us nice into transfers and captains, uh, but it is Captain unobvious. So Gad Effendi um, asks if we should be considering non-premium captains now with our captaincy um so city defenders um i've seen a few people kind of saying oh you know, i'm captaining cancello against west brom and i, I can see why um obviously got the assist against cheltenham so maybe that's his uh imminent assist spaffed and he's not going to get on for a while um but you know without de bruyne maybe you know he's a, a creative he's gonna be needed or antonio uh, for example so hat tip to Taylor Cross, um, who added me this week with Triple Caps Antonio. I created a little photo of Randy Marsh from South Park with his balls in the wheelbarrow and photoshopped his face onto it. And I was just like, wow, okay, good luck, mate. And absolutely came through with him. So, really awesome stuff. Is it the time for us to kind of sit back and kind of think, oh, actually, the premium players aren't really doing the job for us right now? So, Maybe we look elsewhere. Maybe we look at the likes of Antonio or look at the sister defenders and think, oh, maybe it's pro- high time uh, that we gave these guys a go. Of course, Bruno Fernandez, Sheffield United I expect we're all going to say he's our captain. Uh, but is it time to go off the beaten path, lads?
0: I don't think it is time to go off the beaten path. Uh, you talked about uh, Taylor Cross going off the beaten path. We had another listener, Josh Dolphin, who triple captained John Stones as well, who had a particularly good game week, thanks to that. But um, I-, I don't think that this is the time I don't think there's ever really a time to go totally mad on captaincy. Like, okay, yes. Is there, you know, individual discrete opportunities to captain outside of the meta? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've, we've seen, we've talked about it before and we'll probably see it again, that defenders do um, when they have a good chance of getting two clean sheets and might get a return going forward, they do offer particularly interesting value in double game weeks. But that said, going back to our effective ownership discussion, I think you'd be extremely brave to not captain the likes of Bruno Fernandes this week and it's Bruno Fernandes this week but it's going to be someone else the week after that that if it goes wrong for you and the thing is that there's a reason why they're the premium players that are highly owned who score all the time if it goes wrong for you and may well do percentage wise um, I don't really want to be on the other end of that I've been kind of building a half-decent rank by being consistent and not going totally wild with my captaincy, and I'm not going to change that now.
3: Exactly, I'd agree with that. I think we've talked about the unwritten rules in the past, that the obvious captain pick is obvious and... I'm going to be sticking with that for now. And Captain Bruno, I think when I've experimented in the past with less obvious picks, for instance, this season, I um, picked uh, Ings against West Brom. Um, more famously, a lot of managers picked Callum Wilson against Norwich last season, um, like myself, and uh, it's just fallen flat on its arse. So, um, yeah, for me, it's going to be the safe, boring captain pick, Um you know, avoid the the damage of the effective ownership as well, um, which we talked about earlier. So, yeah, um, going with the captain obvious as opposed to the captain unobvious.
0: Like, I think there's there's a bit of an obsession with trying to be the guy that has the the likes of the Antonio or the uh, John Stones. Matthias Pereira
2: this
0: week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, post that on Twitter and have that moment. Try to be the guy instead who can post a screenshot of like 10 green arrows in a row. So I guarantee you that that's going to look an awful lot better for your rank long term as well.
2: Yeah, I, I think um, you've all uh, basically been looking at my notes because all I wrote was linked back to EO, uh, which is, yeah, I mean, great. If, if you want to captain someone like mattis Pereira and it comes off you, fan, bloody tastic. The fact is that a lot of the time, if people do captain outside of the world trodden path, and um, they disappear from Twitter and they're not heard of again for a few weeks and then they come back because something else has happened. Other than that, you know, they just screwed up uh, a lot of the time. Obviously, there's the, there's the appetite for kind of risk rewards. Obvious captains where I can is probably how I go as well. And two months, be I've been so crap at captain this season that I, I'm beginning to think I was. The decision just goes up my hand entirely and I just give it to the Algos, you know. um But really, it is about picking your moments. If you're going to go for a differential captain, harking back to that EO discussion. This week, it is going to be one of those things where if you don't go Bruno Fernandes, and I can see why you wouldn't, um, you are going to be absolutely smashed if if he hauls and your captain does not equal or better that haul. That's just the reality of the situation. Some people do like to live dangerously. It's just one of those things where... Do I want the danger of this week? Do I have a alternative that I trust? Is Cancelo, for example, going to equal the fret value of Bruno Fernandez? Mm, probably not. he play. If I own Rashford's, then maybe I'd be more interested in that. But as it is, probably not. But if you have on those weeks where it's a split pin, so let's say there's you know four or five captains in the mix. Maybe that's a good week to kind of say, oh, well, you know, what? I'm going to go for option three or option four and see how that goes. That's one of those times when you can kind of look at the non-premium options a little bit and kind of think, oh, I'm going to go for that sort of captain. Because you're not going to be too punished, again, linking back to EO. So I guess you know all of our captains. Sounds like a blanket Bruno Fernandes. And I think it's going to be a blanket Bruno Fernandes for everybody, folks spoilers but let's talk about our transfers instead
0: Anthony any idea what you're doing yet I'm going to be selling Kevin De Bruyne and I think I will probably just end up running with the meta and getting in Hundo on just purely because I kind of want to have that budget freed up to make another move afterwards I'm not going to take another hit I'd barely taken any hits all season and I've taken two consecutive hits sorting myself out for the blank and double so I think settle things down you know good consistent captaincy pick and uh, see where I'm at after that And as well, we're kind of we're waiting to get a little bit more news on doubles and blanks going forward. And I can kind of get an idea of a strategy with all of my chips intact, including the wildcard.
3: Yeah, so I'm, I'm making similar moves. As in, I'm selling De Bruyne, but I'm, I'm thinking potentially about Sterling. It doesn't free up lots of cash to do other moves, but rather than have sort of seven million sitting in there in the in the banks, so that's that's the way I'm viewing it at least. I'm probably going to be a hit, unfortunately, again because I've got to get rid of Kurt Zuma because he's been dropped by Frank. So um, it's probably going to be stones in as well, just triple up on Manchester City, load them up for the next three
2: games, and hope for the best. Yeah, I'll, I'll be jumping on the Gunder wagon as well. Um, so I think I'm going to do uh, Kevin De Bruyne to the Gunder wagon, And I'm going to do, as well, uh, Kilman uh, to Stones. And that leaves me with loads of money in the bank. That leaves me with money to do Suchek to Madison, you know Vardy to Kane. I've also got some money left over. And so that's a minus four. I'm just wondering whether a minus eight for Jamal Lewis to Diaz is worth it. Because there's loads of double game weeks coming up from Man City. It may well give me an instant payoff this week. But fundamentally, it just kind of solves a problem I'm going to have to solve eventually. Because as we said with the effects of ownership debate, eventually having one Man City player is going to be the same as having one Chelsea player earlier on in the season. You know, one clean sheet is going to be okay, but you can, you're going to game through two. So maybe it might be the case of grabbing Diaz or maybe even you know, the tainted love of Cancelo and going that way. I just don't know yet. Probably going to just jump on the Gunder Wagon and also get stones in and then probably leave it until the last minute to decide whether I want Cancelo or Diaz. If I'm probably going to do Diaz because he's probably one of those players that you just expect to play every game.
0: I'd say if I was to take a hit just to give everyone that speculative uh, idea that I might have if I was to run through with it later on, I would finally free myself of the shackles of Ryan Brewster and I would bring in the man with the second highest XG from open play over the last six weeks which is Da, 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 da. Edinson Cavani mm. playing against uh, Sheffield United, who I think would be an interesting pick to have there on top of Bruno Fernandes uh, to make the most of that EO, you know.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting choice as well. Yeah, one of those things I'm thinking about as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, well,
2: I was thinking about Rashford actually, but, but, but thanks for telling me. That's a good tip. Uh, maybe WCA could uh, help someone's a outcomes after all. Good
0: tip on that podcast with tips on it. On that, on that,
2: that <laughs> podcast that we all that we all show up to do. Um, what feels like every month, uh, given how long last game week was. <sighs> I've actually a lot for tonight. It's been good to do a proper long podcast, hasn't it, Nick?
3: Yeah, it's been uh, been a while since we've done a, a proper extended podcast. I think the next few are going to be a little bit shorter again, just because of the <laughs> yeah. time frames of the, the game weeks. and Because they're just one after another, isn't it, at the moment? But yeah, we were who got the assist. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you haven't
0: already. Yeah, as the lad said, midweek round games coming up, so we will be back on Thursday when these fixtures have concluded. If you have any correspondence, send it to who got the assist at gmail.com and we will get to it.
2: Cool. We hope it assisted you. Uh well done, you did very well in double game week. Commiserations. We're here for you if you didn't. We'll speak to you next week. See you next week.
0: That was gonna do it. <laughs> 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 I had it ready, I had it written there and everything. Poorly. Cool. All right, thanks everyone. Cheers, lads. Uh see you on Thursday.